2: This episode of Blue Shirts Breakaway is brought to you by our Patreon. Go to our Patreon and support this wonderful Blue Shirts podcast. The Rangers are bad, but that doesn't mean we have to be. Let's get this podcast started. Hey, Bushwick Breakaway fans, welcome to another week of the Bushwick Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead, and my other host is here, Gregory Kaplan. Greg, say hello. Oh, full name this week, huh? I've been going full name a lot. I've been feeling it.
3: Welcome to the
2: Rangers podcast, where today we interview uh, a Habs writer, and then also we bring on a beat writer for the Cleveland Indians, uh, because Greg needs to talk about the manager for the Mets. That's that, so... Uh, we had a lot of Rangers to talk about, but we're going to get to that <laughs> later on. Greg, uh, anything you want to talk about the Rangers just Mets today?
3: Uh, well, here's the thing. We didn't need to bring a guest on to do Ranger Talk this week because uh, I think you and I are angry enough where we can handle it ourselves. I
2: think we're going to be okay. Actually, uh, fun story. As you guys know, we uh, like to re- tell you when we're recording this. The Rangers game is just about to start for the Sharks, so we'll be getting our reaction here uh, as it goes on. I might record it a little bit extra later to give my two-minute reaction. And sneak it into this podcast, because we're going to record right before the game's on and over. Um, so stay tuned for that, I guess, maybe at the end of this part. Who knows what happens there? But, Greg, let's start with this. The Rangers didn't lose a game regulation this week.
3: That's nice.
2: Right? Was well, That was good. I thought that was a they positive got, They job. got what?
3: They got uh, four out of a possible six points, It's right? kind
2: of like they won twice, if you really think about it mathematically.
3: They really won yeah. twice,
2: lost once. Not Here's that. The thing. Probably
3: should have won three times.
2: Probably, uh, there's a lot that we could talk about here. We could start with either the seven defensemen Avi's playing that he's mm-hmm. not he's not playing Booch, anything more than ten minutes. Mm-hmm. That uh, we kind of signed Adam Crockdale and now we aren't playing him. That mm-hmm. Rick Nash maybe looks a little bit older than he, you know, is starting to age at this point. Uh, he's not. I'm going to disagree with you on that one. Okay, well, well that's Let's fine. Let's start there. Let's okay. start there. I like that. Let's start there. Uh, tell me, tell me why you think Rick Nash is looking old. I just don't think Rick Nash could take over a hockey game like he used to. And that's not really a hot take or even uh, – I, I don't think that's like out of, out of the zone for me to say that. The reason why I say that is because I, I just the, – the Rick Nash of two years ago seems to be just gone. Uh, you know, this, this league isn't star-driven, but you see people take over games like Alex Ovechkin. Uh, I know that's not a fair comparison. But Alex Ovechkin recently has been on, on an absolute tear and, and, and carrying the, the Washington, I was going about to call them the Nationals, the Capitals. Uh, Rick Nash, who is sort of a semi-pseudo leader of this team at this point in time, hasn't really, I don't know, I want to say put the Rangers on his back. Whereas I feel Henrik has done just that.
0: Mm,
3: going to disagree with you. I think the only difference between Rick Nash two years ago and Rick Nash this year is the shots Rick Nash is taking in uh, high leverage situations just aren't going in. Uh, I think outside of Mika Zubinijad, um and Pavel Buchnevich, I think Rick Nash has been one of the better shot creators and scoring chance creators the Rangers have had all season. I just think the difference is the puck's not going in for whatever reason. Uh, either goalies are making good saves on him. Rick Nash isn't putting the puck in the proper position, um, which you would account as just a slump. Uh, he's a little snake-bitten right now, but I, I don't – Rick Nash does everything he used to do for the Rangers. And literally the only difference this year is the shots he, are, he is taking on goal just aren't going in. I, I honestly think that's – obviously there are subtleties to his game that have changed because he's a hockey player. He's a little older. But I would say he's 85 90%, 95% the player he was two years ago. 90, the only thing 95. I noticed is he's, not he's just not scoring a goal every night. He's doing – right, he's doing everything the same. He's doing everything the same. He's creating scoring chances out of nothing. He's breaking up plays in the neutral zone. He's back-checking. He's being a force on the penalty kill. He's giving his teammates scoring chances, and he's creating scoring chances on his own. The difference is he's putting them in a goalie's pad as opposed to the back of the net. But we want to keep oh, him on no. the...
2: I just, sorry, I just had the Ranger game go on uh, in our podcast. Sorry about that. I tried to turn the volume down. Did not work. Anyway, AV just showed his, showed his face in this podcast. I, I, Rick but- Nash isn't the person... I know. Rick Nash is not the person that I want to be
3: arguing about right now. He No, but uh, you are because I, I just... I, look, part of the reason why the Rangers offense is struggling is not because they aren't creating scoring chances. It was just because they weren't capitalizing on their scoring chances. And Rick Nash is part of that problem. He has not been perfect this year. If Rick Nash has been perfect this year, he'd already have about five or six goals. But he doesn't because... Puck luck is for whatever thing. reason, he's not finishing.
2: Okay. I, I just think what you say, 95%, I think it's more than that. I, I just think Rick Nash is just naturally aging as a player. And it's not a, it's not a crime against Nick Rick Nash. I have so much more to complain about than him. Uh, I brought it up. I know that's my fault. It's my bad. But, like, for example, things that, that was just something that stuck out to me at the, like, I don't know, 20th level of my complaints. Another one of my complaints is, uh, is Deharnay. He was the one taking the third uh, penalty shot—not penalty shot. Sorry, my—I I played FIFA last night. Now it's in my head, on my mind. Shootout shot, and don't we have better? Like we, Zuccarello went, and then Mika, and then we went to Deharnay. Like, why is he such a featured part of this team?
3: It's weird. Deharnay historically is a strong um, shootout performer. I think his career percentage is something above forty percent, which is considered quite good. Uh, but a lot of that happened early on in his career. I think, whoa, wow, went through puberty there. Um, yeah, you did. This has
2: been a tough podcast. I think going
3: going into that opportunity against the Islanders, I think he was O for his last 11. Um, not great. It's just, it's not so much. I'm trying to think of who took the first two shots. It was Zouk and, then, I know, and Mika. Zouk and Mika. You have you have to score a goal to save your life. And you have Chris Kreider, Rick Nash, yeah. Pavel Buchnevich. You have these, even Kevin Hayes, you have bona fide, legitimate goal scorers available. I, I don't understand why you go David Deharnay. But you know what's funny? That's about 10th on my list of complaints. Like, yes, it's a problem. It shouldn't have happened. But the fact that Deharnay was put in that situation is part of a much larger AV problem, much larger AV problem.
2: Well, let's go to there, the much larger AV problem. Tonight, I the Sharks, like as we said, the game has not happened yet. It's just starting. Uh, we're rolling seven defensemen for the second time. Third,
3: second time in as many games, third time this season, we're rolling seven defensemen. And only like the um, fifth time over the past three seasons. It's uh, Here's the problem with rolling seven defensemen. First of all, um, you're playing a player short, which is not great. Because any way you slice it, your seventh defenseman just isn't going to play a normal amount of ice time on the wing the very rarely is there going to be a situation where the Rangers will want to play with three defensemen on the ice all at once regardless of how talented Anthony D'Angelo is offensively it's just not something you want to put a player in it's playing wing and playing D are completely different positions there's a reason why guys focus on the wing or focus on the defense it is not the same it is not like you can it's like turning a first baseman into a center fielder you just want to do it it doesn't make any sense Um, so that's problem number one, problem number two, the seventh defenseman is Anthony D'Angelo. It's not Nick Holden. Who's going to get over 15 minutes of ice time tonight. Nick Holden is going to see a lot of time on the ice because for whatever reason, it hasn't been proven statistically or hell. It hasn't even been proven with the eye test. AV has the trust of Nick Holden. Nick Holden is not just an average defender in the eyes of AV. He's someone he wants on the ice in critical game situations. Well, not, either, not just critical grave situations, Greg, he's on the penalty kill. What, what,
2: what's happening? I, I, I was, I, I, I was living in a world two months ago where Nick Holden was going to be trade bait and on this team. And by trade, bait, I mean for like a fifth rounder um, and he would just
3: be somewhere else. But now he's playing at the, the at, penalty the kill? Time, at the same time. What we've once again, some of this is on us, right? Some of the, we went into the season with the expectations we shouldn't have because Nick Holden is also the same guy AV had on the ice in two playoff games when the game was literally on the line and the Rangers season's life was hanging in the balance. So clearly, and not to mention Nick Holden failed in both of those situations at the same time, he's on the ice in those situations. So shame on us for thinking AV was just going to learn from that experience. That's not the kind of coach A.V. has shown to be while he's been with the Rangers. Uh, So it it shouldn't be a surprise that Nick Holden, one, is getting ice time over Anthony D'Angelo, and two, is seeing ice time when the Rangers are down a man because that's the kind of guy A.V. thinks he is. Look, Nick Holden might be the sweetest person in the entire world. This is nothing to say to Nick Holden, the man. But Nick Holden, the hockey player, has just proven to be not that good. Shut no, up, and like just call it like it is. He's a below-average defenseman Let's- who might be able to survive on a team's third pairing, but should not be seeing the amount of ice time the Rangers routinely give him. Let's say this: D'Angelo was
2: an essential part of the step-on trade. An essential part. He was
3: Ryan Ryan Ryan. As valuable as the seventh overall pick is, you that is Anthony D'Angelo was the centerpiece of the trade. You do not make the trade for the seventh overall pick because anything can happen in those first six picks. Regardless of how much you might value that draft pick, whoever you think is your guy, the only way you can guarantee getting him is by getting the first overall pick. So the seventh overall pick, you are taking a lot of risk on with that draft pick. So that cannot be the centerpiece of a trade that involves a top six center and a goalie capable of starting in the NHL.
2: A starting goalie. Like, Ronzo was very good for us.
3: Uh, He's been bad this year. But that's not the point. Not when the point. Rangers traded him, he at, was a starting caliber at, at goalie. The
2: time of the, at the time, his value was at a very high place. And you were trading a number one center, quote-unquote, for what is essentially a guy you're playing four minutes right now. And
3: it, It's, 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 it's the most frustrating. It, this, it goes back to something you and I have been talking about all fucking season. Where... At some point, where does it become Jeff Gordon's fault if Gordon and Elaine Vigneault had to have a conversation about moving Derek Stepan? That is not a decision a general manager makes without talking about the ramifications with his head coach. It it, it doesn't matter if they're the best friends in the world. It doesn't matter what AV or Gordon's relationship is away from the rink. That is a conversation you have with the guy who's going to be responsible for filling out the lineup card every night. And throughout that conversation, you are trading a guy a, who is going to play 20 minutes a night in Derek Stepan. You have to be getting back a player that is going to have an impact on your hockey team this year for a team like the Rangers, and it it's not there. It, it, look, Anthony D'Angelo has struggled at points this season, Absolutely. but part of that— is the deployment of Anthony D'Angelo. He's been put in situations to fail in-game situations, either putting him on the top pair with Ryan McDonough when that he should not be seeing the caliber of talent offensively other teams are rolling out to go up against Ryan McDonough. And he shouldn't be playing... He is a mismatch with Mark Stahl. And if your argument is, first of all, Mark Stahl's been fine this year too. Yeah, we should take a minute say. to talk
2: about that. Uh, but let's, let's get to that in a right now. Not but right now. Definitely not if now. You
3: require, if you're acquiring Anthony D'Angelo, you have to play him with a player who can utilize his talents and a guy who can sometimes cover for him defensively. And there is no point in that conversation where that player is Mark Stahl. As good as Stahl has been this year, if you acquired Anthony D'Angelo, you had to have had a different plan for how you were going to deploy him in the regular season. It must have existed. It could not have been we're going to play D'Angelo with Mark Stahl. I don't know who that – Ryan, I honestly don't know who that player is. I don't know if they had this pipe dream where Pionk and D'Angelo was going to be their third pairing. I don't know if that, they That's not going a pipe dream. Raves. That could
2: happen right now.
3: Well, it, it, it can't because Holden is here, and as, again, going back to the original point, as long as Nick Holden is here, Elaine Vigneault is going to find ice time for him, because Elaine Vigneault has an opinion of Nick Holden that nobody else who follows hockey has. Nobody ha- because if someone else had that opinion, the Rangers would have been able to trade him. Right. Or is or are we at a point now? Again, this goes back to how culpable is. Jeff Gorton. Is Elaine Vigneault telling Gorton don't trade don't trade Holden? He's a quali- he's a quality defenseman we need him for depth.
2: Or like, is it or is it Gorton holding on? Is what you're saying?
3: I I, I I don't believe at this point it could be Gorton holding on. I think at this point it has to be I, this is doing a lot of assuming. But I, I think at some well, point Elaine Vigneault said, I, I want Nick Holden on the New York Rangers. All
2: we can really do is assume because this organization, as we've talked about this podcast before, is very quiet about everything. So our, yeah. our job I – I was going to say our job. That's really funny. Um, our, <laughs> our hobby as Bushwick Breakaway is to make assumptions. That's
3: what we do. Yeah. I just – as long as Nick Holden's here, he's going to play. That's made perfectly clear. And that's made clear because, again, the Rangers – made their team worse by trading Derek Stepan. Doesn't matter what your opinion of Stepan is. Doesn't matter what your opinion of D'Angelo is. Doesn't matter what your opinion of Lee Anderson is. Fact of the matter is the best player involved in the Derek Stepan trade with the Phoenix Coyotes is Derek Stepan. And the Rangers traded him knowing full well we do not have the center depth on our roster to actively replace him. They made that trade for a player a talented player in an Anthony D'Angelo that they are now willingly not playing. And that doesn't make any fucking sense. And None.
2: It, and it doesn't matter that the Coyotes haven't won a game at all, by the it way.
3: Has, the Stepan trade has, when you're evaluating it from a Ranger standpoint, it literally has nothing to do with the Coyotes at all. It is not an, an indictment of Derek Stepan's level of play that the Coyotes don't have a win. A lot of things are happening with the Coyotes. The fact of the matter is the Rangers are a better team if Derek Stepan was here. And we know that for sure because it would mean the Rangers have a center, a bona fide top six center they could be playing right now, and it wouldn't impact their defense at all because they are not playing D'Angelo. It makes no sense. It doesn't. And here's like I'm gonna segue directly into my next point. Okay. When the Derek step over. on trade happened, you and I had multiple podcasts where I told you to your face, the thing that concerns me most about this trade, if the Rangers don't bring in another center, is it now puts Kevin Hayes in a situation where he's a top six center. Funny thing happened, though. Kevin Hayes has played like a top six center. <laughs>
2: Kevin
3: like, Hayes has been very good this year. Well, And yet, he's not playing top six minutes. Well, before yeah. the, I think he played him last game. I think last game was the one of the first times – he actually got more ice time than David DeHarnay, but Kevin Hayes, right now. his offensive game is blossoming, and it. it or it's it, just the start it, of the year. <laughs> no, the, the problem. The problem with Kevin Hayes is the Rangers have misused him for so much time that I think it's warped our view of him as an NHLer. Uh, they have played him in a shutdown center role where that's just not his game, and it never will be his game. And the Rangers continue to try and force feed him into that role, but he's now playing with VC and Jesper Foss, and he is doing things offensively I don't think we've seen Kevin Hayes do on a consistent basis as a New York Ranger.
2: Maybe I think he did this his rookie year a little bit with us. Uh, the the way he's playing, where he's kind of barreling towards the net, and he's has the ability to control the puck and take it really strong uh, towards the goaltender, but. I, I I just think he's also streaky, and I, maybe we we have been misusing him for this, this this period. But he better be you know a second line center for us. He has to be. There's no other choice. Why uh, Arnais, who, well,
3: who, who that's is, that's the problem though. Av thinks there's a choice. There's like, n- that's that's the crux of the issue. Av thinks he can just put Deharnay in at the set on the second line, and everything will be hunky dory. He's done it. He did it when Philip Heedle was here. He he keeps doing it. And the fact that DeJarney is on the second power play unit makes no fucking sense. That's
2: not DeJarney's game. No. It makes no sense. The guy, like, where was DeJarney? He was probably going to play in a fourth line somewhere else if we didn't sign him, right? And I'm not...
3: I, I, he, he split time last year between the Canadians and the Oilers and quite honestly, didn't look good on either of their fourth lines. I, now, some of that was him fighting through an injury, but some of it is he's just a fourth line center. And there's nothing wrong with being a fourth... Just admit what you fucking are. Yeah. It's, it's, I, again, the, the problem with A.V., And Jeff Gordon, in my mind, is they get these guys who are perfect for a certain role, and then the Rangers just change the role.
2: I don't have a problem with him as a player or a person. It's just his usage. That's all. And I just think there's better ways for this team. And I'm still in the mindset where I, I don't really know what I want from this Ranger team. Do I want them to go on a streak here? Like, I always want the team to win, right? It's just more fun when the Rangers win. But, like... It, we talk about this a little bit later in our Haps interview. Like, it's enticing to have a high draft pick, especially next year, for multiple reasons. So, I don't want to tank. And this team's too good to tank. We're just too good. But, and New York never takes in general. But if it comes to a point where it's midseason and we're not going to make the playoffs, like, moves have to be made. And these moves that are going to be made are going to be crucial decisions like, is Kevin Hayes part of the future? Is JT Miller part of the future? Are we trading Rick Nash? And if so, can we trade into one of the ten teams he's avail- letting us do th- that too? The big question comes about Hank. Now, that's never going to happen because Hank will always say no to leaving or will he? you know, that's really the question. I, I-, I don't think I really want to get to that point, but it's it it could happen. We-, we could be three months away from a very scary time in Ranger history.
3: The, the problem, there are a couple issues. The problem with the Ranger rebuild is, You mentioned Nash. He's the obvious guy that has to go because he's on an expiring contract. Um, You'd have to find someone for DeHarnay, again, expiring contract. You'd have to make decisions about Hayes and Miller. Um, And then really, if you're being completely honest, the only other guy I think the Rangers could consider trading is Ryan McDonough. Because McDonough has a year and a half left on his deal before he hits um, free agency. You're not trade, you just signed Kreider to a long-term deal. You're not trading He's him. He's not going anywhere. You, know, you just signed Mika Zabinajad to a long-term deal. You're not trading him. You're you'd have to do mental gymnastics to convince Henrik Lundqvist to go to the perfect team. And it would have to be the perfect team, not just from is a contender, but also has the cap space to take on his insanely rich contract. Uh, you're not trading Kevin Shattenkirk, who you just signed. You probably can't trade Brandon Smith, who you just signed to a four-year deal. You wouldn't want to trade Brady Shea because he's one of your best prospects. Mm-hmm. You're not trading Pavel Bucinavich because regardless of what fucking Alain Vino oh, thinks of him, <laughs> he's your best prospect. Um, the Rangers don't show any willingness to even discuss Jimmy Vesey in any trades. So really you're coming down to a Rangers quote unquote rebuild. You're trading Rick Nash. You're, you have to think long and hard about trading Ryan McDonough and you're trading one of Kevin Hayes and JT Miller. That's not a rebuild. This team is not vastly different without those three guys. No, it's this not. This team is still a competitive hack. This team, the only, it, this team's incapable of fully tanking. It's just too talented. It, it, like, that sounds, that's probably the biggest humble brag so I've ever said. It's so weird to
2: say. Like, the team just has too much talent to be at
3: full tank. Because you- it's, it's just, it's too talented and the guys are under contract. Like, you just signed almost everyone to their contracts. You're not going to about face and trade everyone. You just signed to long-term deals. You're, because it's bad business for you. As an organization, you look terrible. You sign a guy to a long-term deal, and then a year into the long-term deal, you're already trading them. What free agent is going to want to sign with you? Yeah. And, so and right, the, the Ryan a question, by the way, is very intriguing. That, that's the hard conversation you have to have if you're, if you're serious about tanking. But again, even if you're serious about tanking, we just went over the scenario where the Rangers are still too good, where they're not going to finish last in the NHL. There are teams flat out worse than the Rangers. And there's no way for the Rangers. The only way for the Rangers to get that bad yeah, the is to start scratching guys that scratch Zubinajad and Kreider every night. Then you're probably bad. On top of the trades you made, um, and you're starting Pavlik every night. We're instead. never,
2: we're never going to do that. We're we're going to no. fight through the season, and we're going to the the prediction now, I guess, would be to finish right outside the playoffs.
3: I don't. It's we're not even at the ten game mark. This is. I, I said the prediction now I'm sure, I know we're overreacting. I'm aware. I know because I'm sure over the last three years, the Rangers have had stretches where they've, you know, lost six of seven and they still made the playoffs. It's just they lost their first six of seven, and that's or they actually lost like seven of eight to start the year. When it's your first eight games and you lost seven of them, it it's tough to look at and it's hard to swallow. But it's still just eight games, which is 10% of not even 10% of the NHL season. So you, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. It's just, I look, I'm going to plug the podcast. I, not the podcast, the website. I wrote about this today. AV is making everything harder on himself. I readily admit that Elaine Vigneault knows more X's and O's about hockey than I will. He can drop a play better than I'll ever be. He can drop a play shit faced better than I could after studying for two straight years. I get that. At the same time, it's AV making everything so much harder on himself because He feels the need he has to play Nick Holden. He feels that Anthony D'Angelo isn't an NHL-caliber defenseman. And if he thinks Anthony D'Angelo is an NHL-caliber defenseman, his usage of him doesn't make any sense. And he's putting Pavel Bucnevich, one of arguably his three best shot creators and goal creators, he's putting him on the fourth line where he can't do anything. Pavel Bucnevich on Saturday played the second- Least. Lowest- total time on ice. Only Michael Grabner played less than Buchnevich and nobody outside of those two played less than 13 minutes, and Buchnevich had, I think, 1150-something. I have it right here, 1150, and Grabner played 1136. It doesn't make any sense for that to be happening. Now, I understand that right now there's some chemistry happening with Hayes, VC, and Faust, where you don't want to break up that line, but you have to have Pavel Buchnevich if he's not if it's if you're not just gonna run out KZB, Bucnevich has to be in your top nine. And if that means if that means moving down JT Miller for a game, if that means
2: You can't move I, down yeah. JT Miller. Like it's really
3: or, or what you could do is just what the Rangers should have been doing and put Miller at center. Yeah. Just put Miller at center and put Desarnay back down on the fourth line. Totally agree. That's and, where and I'm the at. Rangers, the Rangers are like we're short of center. And they have a guy who's capable of playing center, and they just don't want to do it. Which again goes back to roster management. It doesn't make any sense what the Rangers are running out right now. I have breaking. It doesn't make any sense.
2: I have breaking news. Tanner Glass has posted on Twitter for the first time in three years, oh, and, no. and it is it is feeling the support from at two under their great underwear, and he gets he got sponsored by an underwear company.
3: Congrats, Tanner. Two minutes. Two minutes into the game, the Rangers already gave up a goal. How many times have we said that this year?
2: Uh, every game.
3: Almost every single game? Who scored? I think the only one. It didn't happen against the Predators, and that was the first time in what felt like ages. Why
2: do we give up such early goals like this? I just don't understand. What is the problem? Do we not come out mentally tough, like strong enough? Like, what has to if happen- the Rangers aren't If the Rangers aren't
3: coming out prepared for a game, that's on the coaching staff.
2: Ugh. Brett Burns gets the assist, and Katur gets the goal. All right, well, listen. This Ranger team, I'm going to come back out after this and do a two-minute recap of, of the Sharks game. Uh, we're going to move on to our uh, our other interview with uh, Andrew. Oh, no, I'm not. I got a
3: big point we need to oh, talk about. Oh, okay. Let's go. Uh, and it, it segues a little bit into what we talk about later. I don't understand what it is about the New York beat hockey writers, not just for the Rangers, but also the Islanders, where they don't feel like they can criticize these teams. I don't understand it. Joe kind of touched on that last week with us. He, d- he did, and I want to focus on it with you because when you look at the beat writers for every other professional team, it the James Dolan farts and Nick writers are ready to go. Um, Mets beat writers are very quick to criticize the team for either not spending or... They, as much as they liked Terry Collins, they would have no problem pointing out his in-game management and how it failed the team from time to time. They had no problem doing that. The Yankees beat writers nearly brought out the pitchforks because Joe Girardi made a mistake in game two of the American League Division Series to put the Yankees on the brink of elimination. A guy who has won a World Series with the Yankees, and they were ready to call for his head. Uh, The Jets and the Giants- They get get slaughtered. Ripped apart. Slaughtered. As soon as the season turns bad, and my God, Odell Beckham Jr., could literally donate his entire season salary to charity and giant beat writers will still find a problem with him i don't get that by the way so i don't understand why beat writers specifically for the new york rangers i don't have um a lot of experience with the islanders but i reached out to our friend james duffy from gotham sports to ask if it's just a ranger problem he says it's not and i believe him when he says that i don't know what it is about hockey where these crop of beat writers feel like they have to fluff the teams. It doesn't make any sense. So, no, right. n- No other sports team gets coddled in the media like the Rangers and the Islanders do.
2: Are you talking specifically about a perf- person at Newsday and also, uh I mean, Brooks? No, this, ripped- look, ripped- I have
3: no problem throwing Zippe under the bus. I think he's a flaming douchebag. Okay. Um Fair. And I I don't mean flaming in a sexual orientation kind of way. I mean it as a, his personality is fiery on and he's fire. a douche. Okay, right, exactly. Right. Okay, um, it's it's because it's not just him. It's Brooks. It's Brooks um,
2: is pretty harsh on the team.
3: He's uh, he's harsh on the team without being hard on the coach. It's never Av's problem.
2: That's kind of a fair opinion. I Brooks is. Been pretty hard on players before. You're right, though. Man, Brian been, Boyle's
3: there. an easy target. Like, being hard on Brian Boyle, you can't be hard on Brian Boyle and give Dan Girardi and Mark Stahl passes, which is what the media has done for years. Brooks even kind of did that. Brooks yeah. did that last year. It's so, it, it's just, it's it's odd. I don't understand. I, I can't explain it. I, it is literally unlike all other professional sports. Shit, they're harder on St. John's basketball than they are on the New York Rangers.
2: Maybe it's because, and Joe kind of talked about this. They're in control of things. Where if you go in there and you're saying bad things, you're just not going to be in there anymore. You're just I, you won't even have a job.
3: I don't. I I refuse to believe that. So you're saying newspapers value access to the New York Rangers more than they value access to the Mets, the no, Yankees, not the Giants, at all. the they, Jets, they value,
2: the they value it the least.
3: They value it the least. So why are they getting coddled? It's, why Why can a beat writer from Newsday? go into Terry Collins' office, office the day after saying, basically, the way you handled the eighth inning was fucking atrocious, and not be judged for it. And yet, it seems like the beat writer from Newsday goes into the Rangers' locker room. AV is saying obvious things that just aren't challenged. It's, that's, that's the thing. When AV stands in front of a microphone and says, look, Anthony D'Angelo just isn't playing up to snuff. Not one person asks, Why? Nobody asks the why. No one. They just move on. They're like, "Oh, well, if A.V. says Anthony D'Angelo's is not playing well, I guess Anthony D'Angelo is not playing well." We've never heard Elaine Vigneault explain something in his entire tenure as New York Rangers head coach.
2: To, now, this goes to my next question: From the Torts era, was was Torts explaining those things? It's. I don't. It feels like he wasn't either.
3: The, here's the difference, right? When you would ask John Tortorella why, he'd tell you to fuck yourself. I respect I, that. Which is – but, like, that's John Tortorella. So then a good reporter would go to another channel to get the story he's looking for as opposed to being, well, John Tortorella's being mean to me. I guess I'm not going to be able to do the story. Wow, what a voice. Jesus. (laughs) Okay. Like, Elaine Vigneault, just because he's nice to the media – Terry Collins was great with the media. And I know a lot of my experiences go back to the Mets. But it's not just Terry Collins. Joe Girardi, fantastic with the media. Yes, Everything we've understood with Todd Bowles, fantastic with the media. Ben McAdoo, Is an idiot, but that's not the point. That's not the point. There are other managers in New York who are great with the media, and those managers get asked hard questions and get criticized for mistakes. And for some reason, New York Ranger beat writers do not hold Elaine Vigneault to the same standard. And for the life of me, I don't understand. I don't understand.
2: It is a good point. to bring up, because mostly, like, AV does play very nice. He gets out there and is, you know, he's is, is kidding around with the guys a little bit. He gives, like, the side eye. He's always chewing gum. But I I don't see why he can't be criticized. They're really, I feel like the blogosphere of Ranger fandom roasts AV, especially of recent. Uh, but for the most part, you're right. The actual reporters covering the team who have access to the locker room and have, have access to Alain yo just don't. And it's very strange. And,
3: and I know um, what's out there from people like Joe, from Blue Line Station, from Blue Shirt Banter, from us. From our website, it all, BlueShirtbreakway.com. Seems, it, it all seems to be negative on AV. Look, I would have no problem saying AV is doing something right. I would love to say it because that means the Rangers are doing something right. And we last year, we there were periods of time where we would both praise AV mm. for sticking with lines that were performing. When Hayes, Grabner, and Miller were at the height of their powers, Fair. A.V. easily could have broken up that line. He didn't because he realized something was working there and he stuck with it and he wrote it out. And we praised him for that. Um, at the same time, like, it's just, it's so weird to me that it seems like beat writers will not hold Elaine Vigneault to the same standard as other head coaches in New York. Not just, it. like, you look at, how canadian sports writers covers their team and my god do they turn quicker on players or coaches Um, we talk about this with andrew zadarnowski who's coming up talk about the canadians um, struggle to their season and everything that's going on with alex galchenyuk when you look at it in new york which is considered one of the hardest media markets in the world when it comes to professional sports
2: if not the hardest by the way
3: it's it's treated with kid gloves and Honestly, I'm not saying, I, I, I don't want to insinuate that the media, members of the media can be responsible for a coach being fired, but I can tell you if articles appear in Newsday, the Daily News, the New York Times, any noted New York publication, if articles start popping up in those newspapers questioning the management of the Rangers team, owners start thinking about that shit. They, they read the papers. They they see the reaction from the fans. If they're only hearing the reaction from the fans, but beat writers are being like, well, no, I think everything here is good. I can't James Dolan is not God. James when Dolan it doesn't, comes to doesn't knowing even about look at the Rangers, though. Come on, man. Right. But if if Jane if James Dolan picks up a newspaper and doesn't read a bad article about the Rangers, he's gonna think everything's fucking fine.
2: He has to be a little smarter than that. I have to give him a little more credit. I I don't. Okay. I don't. I, I, Isaiah, I actually Isaiah, I actually don't have, because he, of the, all the things that happened with the Knicks, but but the Rangers, he's been really hands off. So I have I to just, give him. I
3: I, I I just for the life of me, I don't understand why Isaiah Thomas and Phil Jackson get criticized for farting in a quiet room where Av can literally decapitate Pavel Buchnevich, and beat writers would be like, I bet you there's a good reason for that. It is very strange. I
2: actually don't I don't, don't, I don't, I don't have a really good argument back because I was trying to take the other side, and I just don't have one. I'm sitting here kind of stumped and,
3: and it's, uh, a great job it's by not, you, Rick. It's not an individual journalist's responsibility to worry about his team's credential status. It's not. And I got news for you. I don't need to hear sports fucking every—we uh, gave it 110% from Kevin Shattenkirk every night. It's very rare a player is going to give you a juicy soundbite. And I bet you if a player is willing to give you a juicy soundbite, he's willing to do it over the phone— as you would be in a locker room. The main purpose of a beat writer is to ask a hard question, not just to a player, but to a coach. Why Elaine Vino is not being asked hard questions every day beyond Vino? Why are we rolling out 11 forwards and seven defensemen? Well, it worked over the weekend. Oh, that's a good answer. Oh, wow. It worked, it worked once. It has to work twice, Vino. There aren't follow up questions. I don't understand it. It's... And I'm not saying a beat writer has to get in Vigneault's face, there are very professional ways beat writers can do it they do it all the time there are some really fucking good beat writers in this world i just for the life of me ryan i do not understand why the rangers and the islanders are treated with different gloves than the professional sports teams playing in the three other sports the three major sports
2: and it honestly, doesn't make any we, sense to me it, it might be because people don't care as much about hockey and we have to keep that relationship friendly i'm not sure it it had, my, I have a feeling it it does. It has to do with the niche of the sport, and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong in saying that. But that's my if, first gut reaction.
3: If the argument is not enough people care about hockey, then it doesn't make any sense that you can't get to the Madison Square Garden for less than a hundred dollars.
2: That's fair too. You cannot, by the way. You can't do it.
3: Cannot. Cannot.
2: And you can go see the Islanders for three dollars
3: tomorrow, whenever um, you'd like. Ranger, I mean, uh, Rangers-Islanders actually dropped to below $90 on game day, which was surprising. But if you were really just desperate to see a hockey game, you could have just waited one more night to see the Devils play the Sharks for 30 bucks.
2: And, it's, and, and guess by the what? Way,
3: two, two better teams. That's a good game. Like I know It's we two don't better teams than what the Rangers-Islanders did on Thursday.
2: For sure. Uh, we were going to transfer over to Andrew, but first I have a message from our sponsors. Blue Shirts Breakaway is holding a giveaway. Greg, that's us. We we're, are, spo- we're sponsoring ourselves? We are. That's what we do here. We sponsor this, this ourselves. This sounds like
3: some Rangers beat writer bullshit right here.
2: <laughs> it is. Uh, our, our good friend Dan LaRose, who wrote for our website, BlueShirtsBreakaway.com, has donated a New York Rangers jersey. And I was doing some searching on eBay the other day, and I found that game-worn jerseys are way more money than actual just jerseys. So I'm we're doing a podcast worn jersey giveaway. That's right, Greg. I am wearing a pod uh the jersey right now and I'll be wearing it for the next four podcasts. How do you enter to win this podcast worn jersey, you ask? Well, what you're gonna do is go on our, our Twitter at Blue Break and you retweet any article for Blue and you will be entered in to win the jersey at the end of uh at the end of the four week stretch. We'll be finishing at conveniently our Blue Shirts Breakaway meetup game. The 28th or the 25th of November against uh, 26th. 20, the 26th, our meetup game, the 26th. There
3: you go. And you don't have to be going to the game to win the jersey. Yeah. That's just when we're going to end the that's end just, the contest.
2: That's just when we're ending it. So podcast worn Jersey. We're going to have given away any retweets you give to us or com. You'll be entered to win the win the jersey from bushersbreakaway Us. And one more thing. I went to a uh, – during Rangers Islanders, which I watched the recap of later, I went to a uh, brand new concert, a band brand new, not a brand new concert, like one that just came out. It's very confusing. Um, I mean, the concert
3: did also just come out. so It did. It did just
2: happen. Uh, it was in Brooklyn, and there were people in the pit uh, like listening to the music, and they were watching the Ranger game in overtime. And they would started a Let's Go Rangers chant at the show when the band was playing. <laughs> and I was like, I don't really know how to handle this. But I talked to the guy in front of me uh real quick and I, he said something to me and i was like yeah i know I, I was the i said the most like douchebag thing ever i was like yeah i know i host a podcast about the rangers like what is that the worst thing you could say to anybody ever i think so
3: uh only only thing worse you can say is steve Zeppe Newsday. nice to meet you
2: <laughs> so he the guy turns back to me and he goes wait what podcast and i go bullshit breakaway and he shakes my hand and goes i listen every week so yeah, i want to give a shout out to doug who i met at the brand new concert uh, That was actually crazy. So that was weird. And uh, and yeah, listen. It's a, weird, it's a weird small world, Greg. That's what I'm saying. It's a weird small world we live in.
3: I don't go to many concerts, as you know. Not exactly a, mu- a music buff. Nope. Um, I did go, however, in 2006 to a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert when they were on their Stadium Arcadium tour. Okay. And it was the same night as Game 5 of the NLCS against the Cardinals. And as soon as the show ended, uh, the entire arena, which was the then, I don't know if it still is, the IZOD Center uh, at the Meadowlands, broke out into one of the loudest Let's Go Mets chants I've ever heard in my entire life.
2: It's weird how that happens. It's just strange. But I,
3: I, I understood that because it's 2006, the Mets are in the playoffs. I don't know why people are chanting Let's Go Rangers for the eighth game of the year against the Islanders on a Thursday in October. Uh, at, a,
2: at, a, at the biggest band you've never heard of, sold out concert. At King's Theater, like incredible. All right, let's move on to the the Andrew Zaranowski uh, interview, and then we'll go straight from there into a uh, nonsense. Uh, not really nonsense. Greg's gonna cream his pants over the new yep. Mets manager. Uh, there's there's
3: there's a lot of self fluffing that goes on. We brought on um, Cleveland.com Indians beat writer Joe Noga to talk about Mickey Callaway being named Mets manager, the twenty first manager in franchise history, and uh, how I'm. Getting very excited about it, the more uh, I think about
2: it. Yeah, and I stay quiet, mostly. And then uh, we'll come back to, like, I don't know, five minutes of nonsense, and then we'll get out of here. How does that sound?
3: That sounds great. All
2: right, man. Here we go. Transition. And we're bringing on our first guest of the day. I'm going to pronounce his name correctly. It's Andrew. (laughs) Andrew. Andrew Zardanowski. He is a uh, contributor for HabsEyesOnThePrize.com, and he is a radio host at TSN 690. Andrew, say hello. Hello. Uh, I, I know. We, go on,
3: Greg. We weren't. We apparently weren't kidding about promoting you when we introduced you on the. podcast.
2: No, I promoted you. I gave you a promotion. <laughs> I thought it was a good idea. It's like you're on a Rangers podcast. Who knows? So uh, listen, Andrew. That's we have started out uh, both our teams not so great. We've got we the Rangers have beaten two teams. One of them happens to be yours. Your team has not really done much of anything. Uh, I guess we could just start this by saying, are you surprised? Are we ready for a group hug? Are you sad? Give me your range of emotions.
4: Um, my range of emotion uh, for the season went from excited to optimistic to uh, apprehensive to somewhat in a state of dread right now. But, uh, you know, we're only eight games into the season. So, you know, I don't know if you guys are aware of this or not, but this is historically the worst start for the Montreal Canadiens since 1941. Um, so that's a quite you know that goes way back uh, and it's also the first seven game losing streak since 1942 I believe if again my date's correct so we're we're seeing some some modern era mediocrity from the Montreal Canadians right now
5: which buildings uh, in
2: Montreal if any are on fire right now
4: <laughs> well there's uh, yeah the, the tradition in Montreal is that we turn on our own and you know and and eat eat from within, or like eat our own, I guess, is how I want to put it. Uh, definitely, there's a lot of, of angst and anger in, in amongst the fan base in Montreal. Uh, everyone is looking for someone to blame. Everyone is looking for someone to, to become the fall guy. And I think for the first time uh, in five years, uh, for definitely the first time since Marc Bergevin uh, took over as general manager in Montreal, uh, the general kind of sentiment has uh, kind of turned against him. Um, you know, there's always been the, the, the blame, blame the captain talk. Then there was blame the coach talk. Now there's definitely more than ever blame the general manager talk um, amongst, the, amongst the fan base. And uh, even, even the media is starting to hint towards a you know, towards the fact that the general manager is to, is to blame for this season. Everything we've seen with Montreal, everything we you know, that was kind of predicted in terms of their team weaknesses, has come to fruition, uh, including, you know, a, a weaker defensive core. Uh, at the annual golf tournament to start the year, uh, Mark Bergevin laid the claim that this year's defensive core is actually stronger than last year's, and um, clearly there's there's a deficiency in the level of of, of talent. Uh, we did basically the entire left side of the defense was replaced um, in the off season with Nathan Bolier going, Alexi Emlin getting picked at the expansion draft and then and Andre Markov amazingly not being re signed to a to a to a deal. Uh and, and to replace them they brought in um, let's see, David Sch- uh, they brought in um, Carl Alsner, which was a big kind of free agent signing. Uh, that was met with a lot of apprehension from the fan base based on his reputation and age and they also brought in uh, a guy like Joe Morrow and Mark Streit two guys you know one is well past his prime and one that hasn't been able to establish himself for years in the league so uh, the question was always there whether they, they improved or not everyone believed they didn't the general manager said no we did we definitely improved uh, but the results are definitely not in the general manager's uh, favor at this point.
3: Andrew, the last time we brought you on, we were playing a game of guess where Derek Stepan might be going in a trade, and the name Ranger fans were circling like hawks was that of Alex Galchenyuk, and you were talking. We were talking. It made it seem like, and it, it hasn't changed really, right? All the all the talk about the promise and prospect of Galchenyuk taking the next step in the NHL is still there. But at the same time, this is now the second straight coach that is playing this guy in the fourth line.
4: Agreed. Yeah. And that was, that was a bit of a shock last year when, uh, when Alex Galchenyuk was demoted to the fourth line, once uh, Claude Julien came in because uh, he started him off that uh, first line center and, uh, and, and and as as a gentle as a as a falling boulder he tumbled down to the fourth line. So um and again it continues this year even even today um Julian mentioned that they're not getting what they expect out of out of out of Alex Galchenyuk and hence why he remains in the fourth line. You know what I I don't think there's an easy answer to this at this point. Um it, he's definitely shown hey, he's talented you know he's a 30 goal scorer one time, one season he's a 20 goal scorer another season but for whatever reason um, there's a, a sort of uh, a lack of 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 gelling with what the team wants him to do uh, is is he trade bait at this point well you know a, a, a talented guy like that is definitely always sought after in the league i mean look at even even uh, nail nailed yakupov uh, god got his uh is the third chance in the league, and is starting to make the best of it. Uh, talented players have a, have the the skill set, but maybe not necessarily the right environment. Will always be sought after. Now, if I was Mark Bergevin and I was trying to trade Alex Galchenyuk, I wouldn't be putting him down in the media constantly devaluing his potential trade value.
3: It's just a very confusing situation, and it's one where Rangers are also kind of going through it. And this is exactly what we talked about last year, where the Rangers kept putting Pavel Buchnevich in situations where maybe he wouldn't succeed, but more he wouldn't be given the opportunity to completely meet his full potential. And I just I just wonder why you think this is happening this year to Galchenyuk. You mentioned Julian saying they're not getting what they want from him, but they're not exactly putting him in a position to give him an opportunity to give them what they want, right?
4: No, not at all. I mean, he's, he's shown to be successful at the center position. Um, all If you're just looking at numbers, then you will see a strong tendency to perform better at the center position than on the wing. Um, but I think the problem with the Montreal Canadiens is that they want everyone to play a particular way. Um, it was the same under Terrien and it appears to be the same under Claude Julien, that they have a a vision for how they want all of their players to be playing, uh, and players are not allowed to play outside of that. Alex Galchenyuk is very much a, um, a a medium risk, high reward kind of player. He, you know, he may not play that full full length of the ice where his defensive game is somewhat lapsing. And, you know, it was the same case with a PK Subban who kind of. You know, marched to the beat of his own drum, and basically he got him marched right out of town. Um, I, I'm worried that, yeah, yes, they're they're showing Galchenyuk tough love at this point, and and perhaps they're showing him that tough love because the the expectations are that much more for him. Uh, I would certainly hope that's the case. Uh, it's kind of like you know, if, if you have a, a kid who you know can do better, you're not going to pat him on the back for getting a C plus. You're going to you know, give him a hard time for getting a C plus, and I think that's what's happening in Galchenyuk's case is that they're they're literally trying anything they can to kind of light that fire under his ass. Um, but you know, the only way you're going to get an offensive player going is by putting him on an offensive line, uh, by sticking him down with the the Tory Mitchells and the and, and you know miscellaneous fourth line right wing. Uh, it's it's not going to help him unless Literally, they're they're willing to sacrifice offensive output um, by putting him in a position where he just plays like 10 minutes of a defensive game. Uh, and right now, I don't think Montreal can afford um, conceding any sort of advantage uh, in terms of uh, offensive talent.
3: Is this the angriest carry Price has ever been?
0: <laughs>
4: On the ice? Yeah, and that's a fair question. On the ice, I it's very rare that you see him lose his composure on the ice during a game. Um, there's been instances where he's lost his pool during practice, where he like gets mad at himself for letting in like a sloppy goal. Um, and, and ironically, what's funny is that these players that are having a hard time to score during a game, you know, their they're, they're confidence is not really getting built up when you're facing Carey Price in practice. So he doesn't give up a lot of goals in any situation. Whereas that last game where he you know, just kind of went ballistic on his stick and, and smashed it across the post, I don't, I don't recall a situation where I've ever seen Carey Price do that. I've seen guys like Tuka Raf do it all the time when they're flipping out and, and whatever. But Carey Price is the kind of guy who, who keeps us cool, who rarely shows uh, emotion out there. Um, I, I, think, I think the same thing can be said about uh, Henrik Lundqvist. He doesn't, he doesn't emote too much on the ice. He just kind of lets his his saves and his play speak for itself.
3: Henrik had a funny emotion in the game against the Predators. Uh, the Predators, um, the Predators mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, over the weekend, I, where I the Rangers finally scored the empty net goal, and you could almost tell Henrik put his hands in the airs and it wasn't so much celebrating the goal as he was just celebrating that. Look at this, we might actually win a fucking game. Uh, with a minute <laughs> left of the third period. Um, <laughs> that was actually. Uh, it, i'm not exaggerating when i say that that henrik lundquist looked like a man defeated and relieved at the end of the predators game um we've talked about this being basically for both teams just a historically slow start but we're still not 10 games into the year um in fact the one time the rangers and the canadians have played this year it's one of our two wins uh thank you
0: thank you very much
3: yeah do you see that was probably the half worst game too Oh, the Rangers didn't look good in that win. Um, no, we remember looked correctly. Awful. That was, that was, uh, day one of Holden Camphor as not just our defensive pairing, but a defensive pairing that saw about 19 minutes total on the ice. And, uh, I, I kind of wanted to murder someone. So I, I think, um, if, the, if it was possible, both teams lost that game. But what I'm trying to get at is, do you see this turning around for the Canadians anytime soon? Are these solvable problems or is it already a lost season in Montreal?
4: I wouldn't call it a lot I wouldn't call anything a lost season less than ten games into the season. Um, there's definitely some adjustments that need to be made, especially from a defensive side. I mean, if you consider that, you know, the top pairing is Shea Weber and a 19-year-old Victor Mete, who, you know, I think he made the team by default because he was the only defenseman who was, you know, quote unquote, a puck-carrying defenseman. Out on that entire defensive squad, for whatever reason, uh, Montreal likes their defenders to be um, the old school kind of grind you into the ground type defenders, and don't put a lot of value in um, in 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 defensemen that are aggressive offensively offensively with the puck. I mean, if you look at all the players, all the defensemen in the past who were like that, uh, you know, your your Nathan Beaulieu, your uh, Mikhail Sergachev. You know, those those kind of guys, you know, find their way out of town rather quickly. So I think on a defensive, defensively, I think Montreal has a problem and they'll need to address it. But another thing that a lot of Montreal fans are kind of taking for granted uh, and, and just kind of compounded the season's bad start is that Montreal traditionally is just awful in California. I don't mean like in L.A. or in Anaheim or in San Jose, just in general when they go to California, for whatever reason, they always slip on the banana peel out there, uh, and I think this trip just came at the absolute worst time where they were a team that was still that was still trying to figure itself out. Um, you know, they, they 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 played that great game against Toronto, but they lost it in overtime, and that was kind of a, a, a I wouldn't say a confidence killer, but it just kind of like made them ask some questions. Uh, and then they went to California and just and just just laid three eggs. Uh, it was it was just a terrible performance. But Montreal hasn't won in regulation in California since December 2011. Is that true? Um, just, That's a just crazy not, stat. Yeah, they, in in regulation, I think they've won in overtime a few times since then. But in regulation, December of 2011 is the last time they won in California. So they just stink out there, and, and I think a lot of fans just kind of just forgot about that because of you know of a losing streak that just got compounded and compounded by continuous losses out in California.
2: Andrew, this Saturday, the Rangers and the Habs are playing a hockey game, which is sure to be a barn burner. But does it worry you that Saturday is also National Statue of Liberty Dedication Day?
4: National Statue (laughs) of Liberty Dedication Day. Is, is that when you guys thank the French for giving it to you? I guess so
2: <laughs> I do a thing on the podcast where we look up what national holiday it is when the Rangers play and you know the Rangers their their mascot is if one would say is the Statue of Liberty and it's our day on Saturday so that means you guys are going down also you guys haven't won a game yet so I'm kind of hoping you guys don't win one yet that, it's like oh a friendly you guys true. you guys are gonna get the first pick anyway, right?
4: All right well we're playing Florida Montreal Montreal' playing Florida tomorrow. And that should be uh that should be interesting to see how the team responds. I mean they they they, uh, they called up a couple of players from the AHL, called up uh, Nikita Sherback and Michael McCarron. They're two first round draft picks. So uh, I think the team kind of realizes that they needed a bit of a shake up. Uh, Alice Hempsky has gone on uh, on the IR with a concussion, so we won't have to worry about him. He's been having a rough start to the season. Kind of uh similar to how Mark Streit had a start start to the season and uh, you know, Mark Streit's been bought out since then, and he's gone. So I think Hemsky is, is, is kind of on his way out as well. He has, he's shown good positioning, but nothing conclusive or, or beneficial to the team. So he's, he's on the outs. Uh, I, think, I think the way Montreal responds against Florida, and, and if they can win that game, uh, then the game against New York should be interesting as a building block for their confidence.
3: One team's well, going to Look, lose. if we play if we play Holden and Camper against you guys again, you have better than a fifty fifty chance of winning that game.
2: <laughs> As of this podcast right now, uh, we're we're running seven defensemen, so we're doing everything right.
4: Nice, 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 nice. Well, I think Montreal could use a seventh defenseman,
2: but uh, that seventh defenseman can't be Joe Morrow. Oh, well, listen, we're both having miserable seasons uh i've kind of gone back and forth on what i want to happen with the rangers and this will kind of be my my final wrap up question here um are you getting into the yeah. mode where you're already looking at future prospects and if if like kind of getting to the 76er basketball mindset of maybe we can get a top pick for this season and it'll all be okay
4: well you know it's it's very tempting to to say montreal should tank i mean I, they're they're not i don't think at this point and you know, I I might be a hypocrite for contradicting myself from saying this earlier, but you know, ten games into the season, I don't think they're a Stanley Cup winning team. So the question is, you know, what do you do now? Montreal historically has never tanked um, on purpose. Us too. It, it's never happened. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not it's not ingrained in the culture of a of a Original Six team to purposely just tank. I guess Toronto did it, so I guess that's not true. <clears throat> Blackhawks. But there's certain teams that are just blackhawks penguins you know edmonton has tried repeatedly buffalo has tried repeatedly of just of just stinking it up um there's a guy playing in europe right now rasmus Dalian who is considered to be you know the next generational star in the nhl uh he's he's defenseman who leads his team in scoring uh he, he he's crazy with the puck he's just fun to look at and he's only uh, he's only just turned eighteen. He's been playing in the Man's league for uh, for a year and a half now over in Sweden. Look, uh, you guys should look him up if you haven't seen him. He's projected to go number one overall. He's projected to be like the next kind of great big star. And and the temptation is to say a tank for this guy, but I don't think Montreal can a is willing to tank, and b I don't think Molson themselves are willing to allow Montreal to tank to miss out on all that sweet sweet playoff revenue.
2: Well aware of who Dalene is, and that's one of the reasons why I was wanting to tank, but it's a pipe dream because the Rangers nor the Habs would ever win the first overall pick. It would go to the Devils or something crazy. But shout-outs to the Devils. They're in first place. I mean, right. it, it, it's Edmonton.
4: Edmonton. Yeah, it's it's Edmonton. Edmonton. <laughs> for, yeah.
2: It, that's for it. The, the I mean, Edmonton Oilers Memorial pick. I just shed on the Devils, but they're in first place in the Metro right now, so I can't say anything. Um, e- exactly. Greg, any last questions for Andrew here?
3: No, it's just – it's – It's incredible how the last time we were talking, I think we both thought the Rangers and the Canadians were in very similar places in the offseason where this is a team that maybe won't win a division title, but should battle not only for a playoff spot, but make somewhat of a run in the playoffs. And it's October 23rd and both of us are more like we might make the playoffs if things start going correctly, but it's not as it's nowhere near what we were talking about july
4: no and you know that's the beauty of a, of a that's what i like about the nhl is that there is that parody where you know every team has a chance i mean look at the look at vegas uh, maybe sure like the the expansion draft was slightly biased in their favor but you know they're an expansion team that is on a run right now uh look at the devils i mean they're they they're a team that's on, on a run right now whereas there's you know there's there's montreal there's the rangers there's uh, Chicago, like traditional teams that are strong that are, that are struggling. Um, and, and that's the beauty of a, of a, te- of a league with parity in it. You, you, it's, you'll have teams that will make the playoffs that shouldn't. You'll have teams that don't, that should have. Uh, it, it's exciting in a way. It's frustrating as a fan for, of a particular team, but just for the health of the league and for the various teams, uh, I, I think it's great. I mean, I, let's look at um, English premiership uh, soccer in England. You always have the same four or five teams that kind of win the championship and rinse repeat every year on, and the richer teams win, the poor teams kind of get relegated, and that kind of gets boring in my view. Hey now, uh, I, I, I like the NHL. Doing. Watford,
3: Watford is still a top four team right now, man. No one cares, Watford, really. Yeah, <laughs> Watford, Watford's in the Champions League position right now.
4: That's awesome. I mean, remember? I remember a couple of years ago when uh, Leicester won the. Uh, the, the 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 cup and that was that was crazy um that's a team that had you know no expectations that won it and that, that was a beautiful story but more often than not you're looking at the chelsea's the manchester cities the, the the manchester united or, or the, the liverpool kind of you know leading the table so uh it, it's nice it's nice to have variety in the nhl
3: it's true uh well look at it this way andrew if you want a new french canadian coach hopefully the Rangers will make one available within the next six months.
4: Well, we're, in, we're into recycling our coaches from the early 2000s,
3: so who knows? There you go. Elaine Vigneault, future Canadian coach, great once again. Andrew. Uh... Make, <laughs> make make Montreal Vigneault again.
2: Andrew, plug your Twitter before we get Ooh. out of here. Nice. So, my Twitter handle is A Zadarski,
4: kind of a short of my name, uh, makes it easier for everyone to remember. Uh, I am there frequently giving. Uh, have opinions and sometimes just uh some 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 music posts i I like to kind of uh spread my seed a little bit as far as my taste in music goes okay, oh for you now um, now
2: you've opened a can, so now you can't go so here's how this works <laughs> G- give me uh sp- spread your seed on me, Andrew, and let me know like what, what kind of music I should be listening to right now
4: <laughs> um Right now, uh,
2: what am I into? Right now, I was, I was just
4: thinking about this. I've had, I had a bit of a rough go this year in terms of music because I've been mainly listening to like baby music because that's all my daughter lets me listen to. Okay, but, so you're uh, a, you're the, the music on, guy. The war, the war on drugs.
2: The war on drugs. The war on drugs.
4: Their new album is absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely, I'm just I'm so into that their sound. It's it's kind of got this this Bob Dylan esque sound that meets. Sort of shoegaze or whatever if you want to kind of picture those two being jammed together it's tremendous um and of course i've been uh last few days you know it's kind of sad time for canada with the passing of gord downey yeah uh he was very very big here in canada uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've heard of the tragic you hit in the states but have, like yes. just from a from a cult yeah from a cultural importance um there was no one who wrote songs about Canada and like the little people of Canada. I'm not talking about Toronto but I'm talking about like a little town like Bob Cajun that became famous because of a tragically hip song that would have been just like a nothing little 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 nook of a countryside otherwise. Um, so I've been listening to a lot of Tragically Hip, just kind of you know, just just, just feeling it right now and, and Tom Petty as well of late just because he passed away as well. So there's there's a lot of nostalgia and and, and and feels in music these days for artists that passed away.
2: Uh, I'll give you a quick uh, rock album, very quick. My favorite album of last year is a album by this a man named Jeff Rosenstock, and the album is called Worry. It's a very short album. It's front to back. It's rather amazing. So check that out if you get a chance. That's been Music with Ryan. Jeff Rosenstock. Jeff Rosenstock, yeah, he's from he's from, from the states. You'll like him. I'm into it. Andrew, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we'll I'll hit you up on Twitter about music. Anyone else who wants to argue with music about Andrew or the Haves or anything like that, you can go hit him up on Twitter. Already sort of plugged that, and we'll we'll talk to you soon. Maybe we'll we'll cry together again.
4: Perfect. Hopefully next time we're uh, popping champagne bottles because we're at the top of our divisions. Uh,
2: yeah. Okay. All right. Bye, Andrew. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> peace talk out. to you guys next season. Peace, peace out, Andrew. <laughs> See you guys. And we're bringing on our second guest that's no way related to uh, the Rangers whatsoever. But Greg is, as you know, freaking out about a new Mets manager. So we brought on Cleveland.com sports reporter, Joe uh, Joe Naga. How do you you pronounce your name? Noga? Uh, It's Joe Noga. Joe Noga. Joe Noga. Cleveland.com, Cleveland sports reporter. I'm going to leave it up to Greg to talk about everything with this new manager. Greg, take it away, my friend
3: uh i'll start with the easy one joe do not be offended that ryan butchers your name ryan butchers my name and i've literally done a hundred podcasts it's
2: a kaplan yeah sorry about that and i ha- um, i had a good
5: right for. not not a problem I, i've gone years without people being able to pronounce my name the right way so it's it's not a problem Every
3: single joe um obviously the mets they made their big move today mickey calloway is the new manager who I don't think Met fans even realized was a pitching coach for the Indians until maybe about a week ago. Uh, I, I guess everyone is getting up to speed now. You know him better than any Met fan probably does. What what exactly do we have here? This is this is a guy working under Terry Francona, but for the most part, at least in New York, kind of a no name. And and that
5: won't last. I'm I'm sure, but you guys got uh, Met fans got the the hidden gem, the diamond in the rough, the, the unsung hero, uh, a guy who, uh, is has definitely done the work and, and is getting his shot now as, as a manager and the Indians fans are, are, they're smarting over this one. They're, they're, they're hurting. They, they're, they're really sad to see Mickey Calloway go, because this is a guy who over the last five seasons has turned the Cleveland Indians pitching staff, the rotation, and the bullpen into one of the top staffs in in all of baseball, uh, and it's it's been largely under his watch, and all of the the reclamation projects and the 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 tweaks and the and the the consistency it's all it's all come from Mickey, uh, and and his way of going about things. It, you guys are are in for a treat. And, and the fellows that, that cover the uh, the Mets for you out there, uh, they they should be really smiling because Mickey is just one of the good guys and he's easy to talk to, he's easy to to approach. Uh, I think
3: uh, you guys are really gonna enjoy having Mickey Calloway out there. Some of the things that are easy when a new manager or hire comes in is to look at what he's done in the last season. And as you were saying, the Indians pitching staff, one of the best in baseball. But sometimes the real show of character is talking about what the Indians pitching staff looked like in 2012, the year before Mickey Calloway got there, and just exactly what kind of reclamation project he did. Because obviously, everyone knows Corey Kluber. Everyone knows Andrew Miller. Um, I think smart baseball people have been in on Trevor Bauer for a while. Trevor Bauer for a while. Um, Carlos Carrasco is a name that's floated around. What exactly did Calloway inherit in his first year and how has he molded that pitching staff since
5: well the, the guys that he inherited guys like justin masterson and uh in, in a trade they got ubaldo uh ubaldo jimenez i mean these are guys who uh some of them like in the case of jimenez he he flamed out and he he got into his own head and i don't think there was much there that um that mickey could have done to, to sort of you know, bring him back from the the road that he was going down uh, when when Jimenez was on his way out of Cleveland. Uh, Masterson, some of it was uh, you know mechanical. Some of it was just he he did get hurt a couple of times. Uh, but if you look at the guys you mentioned there, you mentioned Carlos Carrasco, you mentioned Trevor Bauer. Uh, you didn't you didn't mention Danny Salazar or um, uh, Josh Tomlin. Uh, the, Corey Kluber and Andrew Miller are guys, th- those are, you know, best in baseball at what they do. Corey Kluber's work ethic and his his way of going about pitching uh, with or without Mickey Calloway was was going to be very effective. Mickey Calloway did, you know, sort of get the best out of Corey Kluber. He, he won a Cy Young in 2014. He's poised to win another one this year. Uh, I think Andrew Miller was already pr- pretty much a dominant uh middle relief and, and late relief guy. Uh, when he joined the Indians late last year, uh, you know, he struggled through some injuries this year, but, but again, you know, Mickey, Mickey continued to, to get the best out of, you know, a, a very good pitcher in that regard. But you talk about the projects, you, you mentioned Carlos Carrasco when Mickey Callaway came, uh, you know, joined the, the major league club as the, the pitching coach, you know, he'd been with the organization for three years prior to that. And he was a a minor league uh, pitching coordinator before, right before joining uh, Francona's staff. But, you know, early on for Carrasco in 2013, 2014, uh, this guy was a head case. He was throwing at batters who'd hit home runs at, off of him. Uh, he, he didn't trust his stuff enough. And, and Mickey sort of, you know, developed and they, they, they got him out of the windup. He pitches exclusively from the stretch now. Uh, no matter what, whether there's runners on base or not, uh, he the job that he did with Carrasco alone, I think, making him into one of the, the the better starters in in all of baseball. I mean, the guy won 18 games this year. He struck out more than 200 hitters. Uh, he he really did. A lot of that work goes. Uh, a lot of that credit goes to, to Callaway and his approach to 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 talking with these guys.
3: Obviously, one of the big fears most uh casual baseball fans have even even some of the smarks is this is only the 49th time in baseball history that a former pitcher has been made a manager uh it's the second time under sandy alderson that he's done it he made bud black the manager of the padres i think back in 2006. should a met fan or should any fan for that matter be fearful whatsoever of mickey coway moving out from just being a pitching coach and taking over a day-to-day base operation of this 25-man roster?
5: Well, I'll tell you, just from what I observe on a daily basis covering the team and being in the clubhouse, Mickey Calloway was probably one of the most prepared individuals top to bottom in that whole organization. Not just, uh, you know, on the coaching staff, but, you know, on, on a daily basis, the things that he had to, to have ready and prepared. And, and this year, uh, don't forget, Terry Francona, uh, went through some, some health issues and he missed some time. He missed some time around the all-star game. He had a, a heart procedure. And so that shifted a lot more responsibility on to, to Mickey Calloway. And, and the guys didn't miss a beat. The starting rotation didn't miss a beat. Uh, everybody was ready and prepared. And that's a, a huge credit to Mickey Calloway. Um, I don't think you have to worry about whether, you know, whether he was a pitcher or not. And, you know, it's curious, you mentioned Bud Black. He's another former Indians pitcher who, uh, uh, Sandy Alderson uh, did hire, but uh, you know, this is uh, a guy in in Mickey Calloway who to me always came off as ultra prepared and, and you know, if you had a question, he had an answer for you uh, regardless. I, I think uh, you're going to be really, really impressed
3: with the way that he goes about his business. He's just really that good. One of the things that makes me feel best about this hiring. It's not like Terry Francona is not the guy that's ever going to say a bad word about someone on his staff, anyway. But Francona has been just—I—I'm yet to see anything beyond ecstatic about the kind of guy Mickey Calloway is. How much? How much to you does that carry weight? Just just by Francona's holding in the game and how he's respected throughout all baseball circles, it seems.
5: Well, and and I don't get the impression from from Terry that if there was something there that Met fans needed to be concerned about, if there was something that Callaway, you know, wasn't exactly a hundred percent, uh, you know, on, as a, in his organizational skills or, or his coaching ability or anything like that. I, I think he, Terry would, would point it out or, or say, you know, Hey, he's got, he's got room to grow in this area or something like that. Uh, Terry Francona's knew going into this season that Mickey Calloway was going to be a hot commodity as a coach because he's seen it. He's seen it firsthand. He knew exactly, you know, what the guy's value is. And, and he was pretty upfront with us about that. He said, uh, you know, the sense of loss for the organization is far outweighed by, by his sense of pride that he has in, in the job that his coaches do. Uh, he included, uh, you know, guys like Kevin Cash down in Tampa. And even the, the the first base coach uh, Sandy Alomar, who's you know uh, he he's a legend here. Alomar is a legend here in Cleveland, uh, you know, and he's been up for managerial positions before. And uh, Terry Francona has always been a hundred percent behind his guys getting those opportunities.
3: Yeah, that that's the thing that really surprised me about this managerial search. The the Mets were connected very early on to Alomar Jr., and uh, there were some natural connections there. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's known for his time with the Indians. But at the end of his career, he had a season or two with the Mets. And I think his first coaching stint may have been as the Mets um, catching coordinator. So every, everyone knew Alomar Jr. was around. Callaway's name in the New York media, which is interesting, it, it really did come out of nowhere. I, I didn't hear he was getting interviewed until I think three days or so before it happened. And by then, everyone was already touting the job as Kevin Longs. So to me, that kind of goes and Sandy Alderson said this in the press conference today about just how Callaway blew his socks off in the first round of interviews and he felt like he didn't need to interview anyone else. You've obviously um, interacted with Callaway more than I ever will or ever dream of doing what as a man, like person to person, how much of an effect does he have on you as just being a baseball mind?
5: Well, uh the thing that comes across when you talk to him is is the confidence and the just it's pure professionalism. You get that there there's a sense of that with uh, like Terry Francona it, it it's obvious. He just, you know, the guy's got, you know, a bunch of World Series titles. He's he's going to be he's going to carry that air about him. But but Callaway for being as important as he was to the staff, you know, he he's very, very calm. His his answers to questions were complete and he would look at you and you just sort of knew that he knew what he was talking about. And he's, he he does have, you know, 14 years of professional baseball experience as, as a player, uh, parts of five seasons with three different clubs. And, you know, he's pitched overseas. He's, he's pitched, uh, in, in college and in the pros here. So, you know, he's, he's a guy who has gone out there and done it. And I think the, uh, the players definitely take their, their cues from him off of that. Like he's, I think if he hadn't, you know, had a background like that, uh, you know, maybe he's not as effective, but he is, as a communicator, he's probably as, as good as anybody. I, I'll tell you this. Uh, you can tell a lot from a guy from, from his family and his background. Uh, as, as, as writers and reporters, you know, oftentimes we'll interact with people on uh, on twitter during games and, and whatnot and sometimes somebody will tweet something and, and reply to something that we've tweeted uh we uh, a bunch of the reporters actually uh went back and forth a, a couple of times with mickey calloway's dad who you know was uh, would would quote stats at us you know when we would say you know the 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 pitching staffs era was so and so or whatnot during a time frame and, and calloway's dad would tweet back at us and then all of a sudden, uh, in, the, in the locker or in the, in the clubhouse the next day, uh, Mickey comes up to one of, one of my uh, colleagues and he hands him a piece of paper and the guy, uh, you know, my, my colleague looks at him and says, what's this? He's like, my dad wanted me to print this off and give it to you. <laughs> and it was like a run, it was a rundown of like, uh, the, the staff's performance during a, a certain stretch of the season. And it was, you know, it was kind of funny that, that we're interacting with the guy's dad, but, uh uh it was it was pretty impressive nonetheless to to have that level of you know sort of investment in in what mickey was doing and what the pitchers were doing and uh he's he was he was very emotional when he told the the players in the, the in the starting rotation and the bullpen uh you know that he was probably on his way out there were tears in his eyes so uh no doubt that you know it was a a difficult decision but one that he, he definitely wanted to make and the next
3: step for him that he wanted to take. So, yeah, I mean, he won major points in the press conference. As soon as he said his older brother was named after Casey Stangle and he's named after Mickey Mantle, you could kind of feel every New York sports writer being like, uh, we don't know you, but we like you. Uh, that, that was, that was pretty <laughs> fun. But, uh, what basically I know you, you have to run, you have a meeting going on tonight. Basically what you're telling me is, uh, Matt Harvey is going to win me the Cy Young next year is what I'm getting from this. Oh, oh God.
5: Well, I,
3: I, I, <laughs> great.
5: Um, I, I'll tell you this: you're st- you're getting you're bringing in a guy into a situation. I believe that the Mets have, uh, you know, three four guys in the rotation who are are all pr- relatively young. Uh, Anybody's like that who's made ten starts for them was was under the age of what? Definitely under thirty. Uh, so you've got a young starting rotation, some some great arms. They just sort of underperformed last year is, is oh every, everyone got hurt. everyone
3: but jacob the yeah. got hurt everybody died
5: well you know and and uh, the, the era was like over five it was towards the, the bottom of the league yep. you talk about a guy in mickey calloway whose pitchers uh you know set records for strikeouts and not just set records for strikeouts you know as, a, as an entire team not just that but at the same time they're setting records for strikeouts, they're also setting records for fewest walks. So he gets guys and he gets pitchers to attack hitters. That's that's his, you know, early in the count, you get ahead, first pitch strikes. He's very big on first pitch strikes. Um, I, I think just just having his mindset and his philosophy around that ball club is with the talent that's already in place there uh, in in the Mets, uh rotation i think it's going to go a, a long way for for that club and in, in its efforts to you know get back to the playoffs
3: i gotta tell you i'm i'm i've already warmed up to him i was the guy joe mcewing has a special place in the hearts of all mets fans since his time in new york and i i honestly think mcewing is going to have an accomplished managerial career as soon as someone gives him a chance so as soon as mcewing became connected to the met job i think every met fan shut down and that was the guy they wanted. Um, But not just you, everyone, I've never, I haven't heard a bad word about Mickey Calloway yet, which as a pessimistic Met fan, makes me a little nervous. Uh, But at the same time, this is a team built on pitching. Why not get the best pitching mind in the game to run your team? So it it does make sense.
5: I'll I'll tell you what, if you want uh, sort of a a recommendation or uh, to see how valued he was, uh, jump on our website on any of our stories about Mickey Calloway and about him leaving and the commenters, the Indians fans themselves who are the commenters and and see their reactions or go on Twitter and see any Indians fans reaction to Mickey Calloway leaving. And normally a, a bench coach or a hitting coach or a, a pitching coach, he's, he's the scapegoat. He's the guy who, you know, get rid of them or, you know, they come and go and, and you don't take notice. Uh, Indians fans are are definitely bummed out that they knew this was coming, but they were kind of hoping that we could skate by one more year maybe and uh, and and bring Mickey Calloway back. Uh, you want a, a clear indication of how valued he is and and how highly he's regarded, not just by people in baseball but by the fans who, in general, you know, will are, are pretty good fans and, and knowledgeable about this kind of stuff. Mickey Callaway is going to be missed severely, and, and you know they're saying as, as as much as any potential free agents that we would uh, lose out on uh, from our from the team this year. Uh, you know, Mickey Callaway is is definitely going to be missed here in Cleveland.
3: Well, look at it this way: the Mets traded Jay Bruce to the Indians for a minor league pitcher. Now we can just say we traded him for Mickey Callaway, and I I'll feel a lot better about that deal. I, uh, you know what. If uh, was it
5: Ryder, uh, Ryder Ryan, Ryder Ryan, Ryder Ryan, if Ryder Ryan ever gets to the big leagues and, and does anything, uh, it still won't be as valuable as, as what uh, Mickey Calloway meant to the Cleveland Indians in, in his five years here. You, you talk about a team that's led the American league in strikeouts the last four consecutive years. So just, you know, chew on that for a second. That's four consecutive years. The most strikeouts in the league.
3: That's it's it's pretty impressive, and and that's what you guys are getting in Mickey Galloway. You you're doing a good job selling me on it. I'm I'm warming up to it. I hate this. I'm excited to see what he's doing.
2: (laughs) I hate every moment of this. You make Greg (laughs) so excited for a guy who's gonna get ridiculed and 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 crapped on here in New York, like within the first fifty games. It's just the way it is. Like I'm sure he's a great dude. He obviously has been uh, essential to what the Cleveland Indians have done. But this will not last long. And we both know that, right? Everyone knows that here?
3: Give me me like a week to just live in this fantasy world. You live in it for now.
2: But it's New York media. It's like when Matt Harvey goes out and throws three innings and lets up six runs, who's getting blamed? Not Harvey. Oh no.
3: Matt Matt Harvey will get blamed, first of all. Matt fans have turned on Matt Harvey more than any, (laughs) any other person I've ever seen in my entire life.
0: Okay.
2: All right. Well, I don't want to keep our, our your guest Joe. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, making the room in Greg's pants a little bit less for tonight's podcast. I appreciate it,
5: <laughs> well, uh, fellas. Uh, you know, good luck and 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 have fun out there with uh, with Mickey because uh, he's he's a good one. You guys got lucky.
3: I'm very excited, uh, Joe. Really appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on. No problem.
2: Hey, we're back. I just want to thank both our guests for coming on. Uh a little bit of podcast trick here. It's still one nothing in the Ranger game. Wow, magic, but we've already transported to the nonsense section of the Blue Shirts Breakaway podcast. Uh listen, that interview I, I, I heard you. I heard yeah. you getting I heard the movement in your pants. Like dude, like yeah, no, I, I was, it was it was pretty it was pretty rough for me to listen to.
3: Here's here's the thing. Um, and I I, I say this with Joe. I'm not the only Mets fan that wanted Joe McEwing as the Mets manager. I've had a man crush on him since 2000. He was, he he was. Imagine if Tanner Glass was properly used and good when used. That was Joe McEwing in the early 2000s with the Mets. He was a grinder. You could tell when he was playing you that. You
2: just asked me to describe something impossible to imagine. That was right. <laughs> Well, no,
3: you can imagine. It's Joe McEwing. Um, oh, I'm talking about Tanner Glass. Anyway, you know he's the guy I wanted. But the more you think about it. What what's the Mets' clear strength? If the Mets are going to win, what pitching, has to go pitching, right? Pitching
2: pitching pitching, 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 pitching,
3: pitching, pitching. So why not why not go out and get the best pitching coach and make him your manager? It,
2: it makes a lot of sense. It really does. So I'm not I'm not really worried about the Mets. I think they're going to be a pretty good team next year. I hope they are.
3: I'm super interested uh, to see how they fill out the rest of the coaching staff. It seems like Kevin Long is leaving. Um, he really wanted. Every everything reported is Kevin Long had his heart set on being the Mets' next manager. So it's hard to believe he'd be willing to. It's not a demotion back to hitting coach, but I bet you it sure feels like it for him. Uh, So I I would think Kevin Long is gone. I'm super intrigued to see who Callaway wants to bring in as his pitching coach. Um, Brian Bannister's name's been floated around. He's the VP of pitching for the Boston Red Sox. So that'd be great because he was a former Met prospect. Um, It's always just interesting to see how first-time managers fill out their coaching staffs. Like, I can totally see a scenario where Sandy Alomar Jr. is the Mets bench coach. I, I don't think that's impossible, and that would be very exciting. Um, so it, it'll be interesting. This is a very important offseason, and I think you and I wanted to get in.
2: I do want to talk about Wade Davis.
3: Wade, because I've, I, I, will, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, but you I'll have, say it officially you now. You actually have, so. Um, the Mets have enough money to make one big, splashy free agent signing, and I'm of the opinion that signing should be Wade Davis, because the Mets, the model is now find a way to shorten the game as much as possible. And a bullpen of Blevins, Davis, Familia, and Ramos, it's a great way to make a game. Up. Your starters only have to give you 18 outs or less.
2: Your starters, technically two of them at least, should be able to give you more in general. Uh, they should, but that-
3: say, say, say you want to limit Syndergaard's pitches one night. You have you have three bona fide closers and a lefty specialist ready to go in your bullpen I, at just, any time. I'm
2: never really a fan of big-time paying for the relief pitcher. Chapman is an exception.
3: Uh, oh No, I would say Jensen is an exception. Andrew Miller and Kenley Jensen are the exceptions. I wouldn't have paid. You and I had this conversation last year. I wouldn't have paid to role this Chapman.
2: See, I've never seen a guy throw 100 miles per hour so easy. Um, sure, but it gets hit. I guess Jensen is phenomenal. And so is Andrew Miller. God, they're both. Gun
3: to to your head. Who do you want? If you needed to get one out and Mike Trout was at the plate Oh God. and you needed to choose a reliever, gun to your head, who's the reliever? Probably pick Miller. I'd probably pick Jensen.
2: Uh, This is a quiet moment because I'm thinking, but
3: maybe Miller is. You're picking those two. Am I? Chapman is very good. I, if if Chapman's on the mound and Mike Trout's at the plate, I'd be shitting bricks. God, Mike Trout is so good. If Kenley Jensen is pitching, I don't think I'm ever nervous. See, Kenley Jensen, though,
2: this year, like he's— the-
3: I, 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 Kenley Jensen's been great for the last three, four years.
2: He had two average years. Like, not average, above average for a reliever, but he wasn't, like, dominant. He wasn't like Zach Britton. Zach Britton in his prime.
3: <laughs> uh, which we, we I, never I, really got I, to I, see. I, I think you're downplaying Jensen's career. Are you looking at his numbers right I, now? I'm not. I don't have it in front of me. I'll pull them up as, okay. as you're talking.
2: So Jensen, like for me, I, I guess I've never really had, you know, we're big fantasy guys. I've never really had the obsession with Jensen. His strikeout numbers are actually insane. Chapman just seems like he can be more dominant in the moment. He could kick it up a, higher than Jensen. Not that this matters. The whole point about this is that you want Wade Davis. And Wade Davis, former Tampa Bay Ray great, I might add. Uh is kind of going towards towards the downturn of his career. What are you looking to sign him for? Like, how many years? Were you, can you get Wade Davis for? Is it four years?
3: When it comes to reliever contracts, I when it comes to any free agent contract, you're not really paying for the whole contract. You're kind of paying for the first year or two, or if they're really good, the first three or four years. Um, like you give you give Max Scherzer seven years, not because you think he's going to be Max Scherzer for the seven full years. You give him seven years. Because you want Max Scherzer at his prime for those first three years. And that's kind of the – you just take that um, as – Well, Wait, Wade, Wade Davis, like, he's going to be 30. I, I, I do just want to add, Kenley Jensen in 2016 as a reliever, Ryan, in yes. 68 innings, a 3.2 F4. This year, 3.5. That's very, um, very good. 2015 – by his standards, was a down year in 52 innings. He was only 1.7. The three years before that, 2.1, 2.4, 2.0. Okay. This is a reliever, Ryan. That's fair. 17 career I, war.
2: I would like to see war Chapman's 20. in general. Um, I, I don't know. I don't have it in front of me, two nothing, obviously. 2 nothing
3: Sharks now, by the way.
2: What was that? 2 nothing Sharks? Two, yep. God damn it. God damn it.
3: I knew we were losing this game. I knew we were losing this game.
2: I just don't... I... I
3: the deep side. Anyway.
2: Like, I don't have anything else to say. Like, so frustrating. So frustrating to lose this this team.
3: The last three years, Kenley Jensen has struck out 40% or more of the batters he's faced while walking 4.5% or less.
2: Wait, Wade Davis, let's get back to this. Wade, Wade Davis, Davis is on the down, his numbers. is on the downturn or is going to be on the downturn of his career. He, I don't disagree. He I don't was, disagree with that. He was pitching injured or at least we think he was pitching injured this postseason because because uh they went to lackey instead of going to him and he's one of the reasons they traded for him was to be that dominant relief pitcher well
3: Matt, madden said he was holding it holding him for the save situation okay bro
2: sure he, he lied he was injured so there's no way there's just no way you hold him for the save situation madden i i, I like madden i think he's i think his screws a little bit loose now that he's in. There's been the Cubs organization; they want a ring already, but I, I just can't imagine that. So, what is the contract? He makes eight million dollars now. It's going to want eight I think million dollars again. He's getting
3: north of fifteen. You can bet. You could bank that. Um, here's here's the argument. Who who's better that the Mets could possibly get? Definitely not in the free agent market. I don't think it, the limit does not exist. Um, I just. The and I'll go. I'll go one step further. The okay. free agent. It's it's gotten to a point now where relievers in trade are overvalued. I I don't think. I don't think you can get. Your boy, uh, Colome for anything resembling a fair package. No,
2: not at all. You couldn't get Zach Britton either.
3: Um. Well, Britton was hurt. So it doesn't make any sense for the Orioles to trade him because they'd have to be giving up at least 40 cents on the dollar to get anything back for him.
2: But he'll bounce back this year. I, I'm, I'm a big Zach Britton believer.
3: But Sure, if, but if you're a team trying to trade Zach Britton, there's no way in hell you are well, coming re- anywhere close. Relievers
2: are, are, are this valuable now because of the new model we've seen. You have, you short, You get four elite bullpen pitchers and you go to work in the postseason. That's it.
3: Right. Just... I'm pulling up this year's MLB trade rumors free agent power ranking to okay. see if not. Um, Rank them down. A right lot on. of free starters available. You Darvish, Jake Arrieta. Ooh, um,
2: it's gonna be a fun off season.
3: It's gonna be great. Tanaka could opt out if he wants. to. He's not to. opting out. Um, Wade Davis. Greg Holland are the big two. I like Greg Holland. I'd rather Davis than... I, I like Holland, but... He's going to be so much cheaper.
2: I, I guess if you're talking about... You think
3: Holland's going to be cheaper? I don't think Holland's going to be cheaper.
2: See, I do. I do think Holland's going to be cheaper. First
3: of all, he's got a $50 million option, so he might not be a uh, free agent at all. Okay. He might just take the money. Um, some believe... Uh, blah, blah, blah. The MLB trade rumor seems to think... Davis will get the Mark Melanson deal, four years, sixty-two million.
2: Yep. But Mark um, Melanson, like, come on now, like he hasn't been lights out.
3: Well, no, he got hurt this year.
2: Yeah, but you know, it's not like he was like. Way Davis is a different caliber of player than Mark Melanson. So if you're talking to the Mark Melanson deal, I'd. Yeah, much Wade rather... Davis is also thirty-two. Yeah,
3: he is. So. Uh, here we go. I'm just gonna pull up the big stinking list of free agents. All right, I'm this ready. Is a great Great, great, podcasting. Great, great
2: podcasting right now. Fucking killing it.
3: Um, blah, blah, blah. Wow. second blah, 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 blah. Incredible. Starting pitches. A lot of starting pitches. Doug Fister. I will also say this while we're talking about free agents the Mets could sign. I am 100% on board with CC Sabathia on a one-year deal.
2: How could you Give not be after the postseason? Like, he's, yeah. he's great.
3: Uh, let's see. Right-handed relievers. Um, I will just read off names that seem somewhat interesting. Trevor Cahill.
2: Mm, uh, no, thank you.
3: Wade Davis, Neftali Feliz. Nope. Luke Gregerson.
2: I like Gregerson. Greg
3: Holland. Uh, Kimbrel has a club option that the Red Sox are 100% picking they up because it's only $13 million.
2: Never get rid of him.
3: Uh, Brandon Morrow had Sup- a good year. Surprisingly effective. Pat Nieshek, I uh, like Pat Nieshek a lot. Uh, um, a reunion with Addison Reed.
2: I, I see your point.
3: Um, my, my let's Drew, let's Drew Storen, Houston Street. No,
2: let's make let's uh, end the segment now. Let's tell well, me what then you're, you got, and
3: then I'll just tell you your lefty relievers, they're not any better. Uh, Glenn Perkins is probably the best of them, he just had his option declined. Uh, you're looking at the likes of Mike Miner Jake McGee, uh, Zach Duke. Like,
2: okay, what what's the contract you're giving? Is you giving the Melanson contract to to Wade Davis and I, being happy about I, it?
3: Yeah, I'd give him I'd give him the Melanson deal if he if he wanted four and sixty eight, I'd do that too.
2: Let's talk. Like if he just, wanted
3: more than Melanson, I'd let, I'd be fine with let's it. And be, I know that I'm getting two years out of that four year deal.
2: You very much are. Let's be New, a New York podcast for two minutes to talk about the ALCS. How about that? Sure. That Yankee team is going to be very good.
3: For- do you fire Joe Girardi?
2: No. Why would you?
3: I was having this conversation with uh, friends of the pod yesterday while watching NFL football because the football was so boring. We were talking baseball. God,
2: fucking the NFL is so bad this year.
3: Awful. Just watch college. College is so much better. Um,
2: I hate college football. Anyway.
3: I I, you're going to like it a lot more than the NFL. I guarantee I don't like the NFL, so that's easy to do. There you go. Men's Warehouse. Sponsor of this podcast. Um if uh, if you're the Yankees, you're looking at a roster that you're not really going to make a ton of changes to over the next five years. Yep. So in my mind, whoever is your manager right now has to be the guy you want in five years. Is Joe Girardi the guy you want for the next five years? S- I want
2: to say yes. but if,
3: I... you're not if you're not 100%, that means no.
2: That's not true. That's just not true.
3: When it comes to managers, if you're not all in, I think you have to get out. So, I think that's the that's the first sign. The second you waver even a little bit, the fact that you're even wavering at all has to be the sign. But so get it's out.
2: It's not like you have a better option. It's not how, like how many
3: times? How many times do you want me to blow Joe McEwing on this podcast?
2: I guess like another one right now. But it's not like they're like a huge fans of Joe McEwing. Obviously, they're they're going to keep Jan Girardi. Ger- uh, wow, Jesus Christ, Joe Girardi. Uh, he, he can't go anywhere. He want to ring with them. They obviously were rebuilding. He took them to the like to the ALCS, one game away, where once you once they lost Game Six, you knew they were losing Game Seven. Like doesn't matter that a team overachieved and had a serious chance at winning the World Series. Like they really did. I
3: I personally just don't see Joe Girardi as that great of a manager.
2: I think that's fair, I and mean, he probably takes a lot of criticism, and he does overwork the bullpen. Uh, but he is sort of a player manager. And the guys seemed to like him. The team this year, you have to admit, the, the Yankee team had crazy chemistry. And everyone was really happy. Uh, they had the, the, uh, the whole thumbs down I movement. Got,
3: yeah, well, MetFan, by the way, who started that shit. Get yeah, on him. I'm um,
2: aware.
3: I, um, got into a bit of a Twitter argument with a friend of the pod, Brandon Cohen, about this. Um, and he asked me to name, he said, Joe Girardi is probably one of the five to seven best managers in baseball. And I said, no. I think I could name five to seven managers I'd rather have. Francona, and I did. Madden. Francona, Madden, Clint Hurdle, yep, Bruce Bochy, uh, AJ Hinch, Dave Roberts. And I believe I capped that off with... Don Mattingly. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, Mike Matheny, I'd rather have. And if you want to go one step further, honestly, Bud Black, I'd rather have. Um, I think You can make a case George for a Girardi
2: in other than two of those guys like Bud Black you can make a strong case for Girardi over
3: I, I I think Girardi you can make a case for somewhere in that like 8 to 12 range but there are only 30 guys doing it so listen I just I don't the, know if you if, if, my point is if you're the Yankees and you want to make a managerial change this is the offseason to do it
2: it is but I don't think
3: you, I don't think you can do it in two years
2: but you're also set for a five-year serious run of a championship. Like with the exception of your pitching has to Luis Severino has to stay exactly what he was. Uh, you're probably gonna hold
3: try and hold on to Tsunaka at all
2: costs. Maybe sign you one. Sign,
3: you gotta sign Otani.
2: You definitely gotta sign Otani.
3: If you're if you're the Yankees and you don't sign Otani, you had a bad offseason. I don't care who else you bring in.
2: You have to get Otani.
3: Gotta get Otani.
2: You spend the money before you everything
3: leave. has pointed to Otani going to the Yankees and the Yankees making a run at Otani. So we're honestly at a point now where if the Yankees don't get Otani, it's a major disappointment.
2: He's going to be another phenomenon here too. Um, but I'm, going to t- I'm going to tell
3: you, I still don't think Bryce Harper is going to the Yankees.
2: I was actually just about to say that. It's phenomenal that let you say that. Uh, I am warming to the idea he's not coming. to the. Yankees. I think it's a Chicago Cub. I think he's a Cub too. I think, he, I think he's
3: already agreed to a deal with the Cubs.
2: I kind of agree. I, I do
3: too. I think you've convinced best, me. His, his best friend in baseball is Chris Bryant. He grew up a massive Cub fan. He has a dog named Wrigley. I don't need to hear anything else. If you name your dog Wrigley, that's the love of your life.
2: And you can play anywhere else. You can play anywhere you want.
3: And the Cubs' money is not an object.
2: Not an object at all. (sighs) All right. Listen, Yankee fans out there, I know we don't talk about you a lot. So I wanted to address you. You have a really good time coming for the next five years. Please enjoy it. You have a great team. You you might get Manny Machado. You might get Manny Machado, and you have two, like, Five star prospects coming up next year in Glaber Torres, and uh, why is his name escaping me? That we Clint Fraser. Clint Fraser, yes. Uh, is there a possibility that the Yankees try and trade for Stanton? Is that there?
3: It's there. What do you give up though? You're not making that trade without giving up Fraser.
2: You'd give up Torres and Fraser, probably.
3: I don't think you give up both because that contract is bad. It's, yeah, it's pretty huge. And it, it, I think it, I think it's one of those things where it the. The player option is nullified if he's traded. Like it it locks. It's no longer oh, it's, a 13-year contract with a player option. It, it becomes a 13-year contract. It's just locked in. Um if you're if, uh hold on. Let's uh
2: a lot more searching on the podcast.
3: New York Yankees, top 10 prospects.
2: Oh, with Glaber Torres, number one.
3: Top top 30 prospects. Let's do let's do one more. Let's go to MLB dot com prospect list I already know Frazier's in the deal the the Marlins are not doing the trade without Clint Frazier
2: they're not or Torres one of them they won't do it without it
3: if you're if you're the if you're the Marlins and you're trading your star outfielder don't you want a star outfielder in return is (coughs) my argument
2: okay but like Torres is the better player
3: coming off of a very serious injury
2: yeah it's not his throwing arm it's fine he's fine
3: He's still got a hit. You need two arms to do that. He's going to be fine. It's
2: Tommy John. Um, it's not a pitcher.
3: Yeah, It's, it's just not a slam dunk. Um, I would say gun to my head right now to get Stanton. Frazier. Caparelli. I, I think Chance Adams is in the deal. Maybe not Chance team. Adams. Um, Frazier, Justice Sheffield, Miguel Andujar probably does it. And then but you, if you're the Yankees, do you really want to do? Uh, if I'm the Yankees, I think I would do that. Actually, I want
2: to do that deal. Like that sounds good.
3: I could say' because you, you keep Torres, so Andujar is kind of redundant, right? Yep. So he, he, you can trade him. Chef, uh, like, I guess the deal breaker would be is if the Mar- Marlins ask for Adams instead of Sheffield. I think he's still like, like if you're the Yan- if, if you're the Yankees and you have to choose between trading Adams or trading Sheffield and Albert Abreu, do you do it?
2: Yeah, because you're gonna put Judge you're gonna put Stanton right behind Judge. Like <laughs> good luck. Have fun. Like <laughs> every single ball is going into the park. I just I am fine with that.
3: Yeah. And if you're the Marlins, I think you have to do it. You're getting a stud outfielder with a starting third baseman and maybe two major league pitchers.
2: And you're getting out from underneath the crazy contract you signed.
3: All right, but for but again for them it's not a it's really for the Marlins it's just a 6-year deal with only 4 years left at a very manageable salary. It becomes a disgusting contract after that player option. And Stanton the money is great and all. I don't see any way Stanton re-ups to stay in Miami if they don't trade him. He wants to fuck out. You're right. But at the same time the the one team that can always trump the Yankees on any trade offer is the Dodgers, and everyone knows money doesn't mean shit to the Dodgers. No, that
2: this offseason is going to be crazy. I already feel it. It's, it's going to be
3: nuts, and the Mets aren't going to do fuck all. All
2: right, that's the end of this podcast. Thanks everyone. For actually,
3: doing... actually, one more thing. Okay. Uh, non sports related. I got a, I got a movie for you to see. Okay, hit me. O- Only the brave.
2: Yeah. Fantastic. So you, you posted about that. What's it even about?
3: Uh, it is about. I mean, it's not spoilers. It's a true story. Um, it is about the hotshot crew out of Arizona who all but one member died in a devastating wildfire back in 2013. Oh. And it's it's basically just their entire story. Okay. It's 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 incredible. Josh Brolin is phenomenal in it. It's got a uh,
2: 90% of Rotten Tomatoes.
3: Jennifer Conley, amazing. Um, Jeff Bridges, great as always. Miles Teller plays a recovering crack addict, and he does so well. Okay, I buy it. And it's, it's probably Taylor Kitsch's best performance since Friday Night Lights.
2: Oh, this this, this is a really nice cast.
3: It's, it's, I cannot recommend it. It's probably, of the movies I've seen in theater this year, it's probably my second favorite, behind mm-hmm. only Dunkirk.
2: Okay. I will put it on my list of things to see, my very, very, Any, very, very long list.
3: Any normal year, it'd be my favorite movie. Dunkirk was just unlike any other movie I've ever seen.
2: I, it's, like, I, I can't get into Dunkirk right now. I have a lot to say about it. So, <laughs> I think we've said a lot about it before. We have, yeah, yeah, we have. All right, listen, let's wrap this up and go to our Patreon 10 minutes. We'll, we'll, we'll be talking about the Barstool van uh, talk getting canceled after one episode. So that'll be our our, uh, our deal there. Thank you so much for listening today. Uh, go to uh, our Twitter at Blue Shirts Break and follow us there check out our website, blueschurchbreakaway.com. And remember, any blueschurchbreakaway.com article you retweet gets you automatically entered to win a podcast-worn jersey over the next four weeks. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye!